welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Hello, and welcome back to Noisy Fulfillment. Amanda Baum, how are you doing today? Whew. I am cold, and I am tired, but I am excited to talk about this episode. How are you, Rachel? I am good, and do you know, this actually marks, hesitate to say that we've bent the curve, because that was a thing two years ago. Nope. <laughs> um, Don't speak those words. <laughs> but uh, we're at the top of the slope, right, and coming, and coming down, because... Um, we, it's 23 episodes and we're at episode 12. So we're, so we're more than halfway done. Wow. I can't believe it. Oh, and so much has happened. Um, and again, I feel like the pacing of the episodes gets so much tighter as we, as we get there. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to move this forward. Um, so in the, what we like to call my favorite part, uh, spinny flashbacks, uh, they talk about waiting for that, how Mrs. Hooper was always waiting for something to happen to her. And I really reflected on myself there a little bit. I'm like, I don't know if I'm waiting for something to happen, but I do always say like, okay, so I have this goal for this year. And once I get to that goal, it'll be really great. And it is, but then I just replace it with another goal, which isn't bad necessarily, but I I really felt that in, in Martha Huber's always waiting for something. Um, do you feel like she's just on that ongoing, like hamster wheel trying to, trying to find her place? Yeah, that's a good um, analogy for that. I heard that one before. Do you feel like there's something you're on a hamster wheel for? Or waiting for? Getting done with my laundry. Like, (gasps) literally, like, if I can just do this one last load, everything will be clean. Except what you're wearing. Or are you, like, wearing your robe or something? No, I'm I'm not. I'm wearing my pajamas right now, though, so that every, it's the middle of the day, but I'm wearing my pajamas because the laundry's going. So I always feel like that with laundry, like, that I never get to, like, um, square zero with them. Never, um, never. I, unless I'm going to, unless I'm willing to really commit and wear my robe until everything is clean and put away, but eventually you have to put on clothes, so there is dirty clothes, right? It's a hamster wheel. It never <sighs> stops. It's an infinity symbol. So, Everyday a Little Death, written by Chris Black and directed by David Grossman. This is where we kind of get back into that theme of representation in the writer's room and, and who's writing them and who's directing them that we've been um, somewhat critical of. First aired January 16th, 2005 from the musical A Little Night Music, where they're talking about uh, two, two wives, basically, are singing about their husband's infidelities. Mm, well, hmm. interesting theme for this season, isn't it? I agree. Um, Want to take us to a summary? Sure. So um, we finally find out what has happened to poor Mrs. Huber. So everybody's a little bit in a in a dither about that. Um, we've got Lynette who's trying to find a way to um, 
to find her center, and that, of course, doesn't go as planned. <laughs> um, we have Edie, who is Martha's shocking best friend. Like, it just doesn't, it's a mismatch to me, but, <laughs> but you can tell that the friendship's genuine. So we have Edie grieving for Martha and wanting to um, find a nice way to put her spirit to rest. Mm-hmm. Of course, Susan is involved in that because why wouldn't she be? Um, Then we find out that Martha has kept a diary, so that's making things interesting for Susan's guilty conscience about the arson Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. And we've got Bree's sweet little romance with George um, taking a bit of a turn. And then Carlos gets let out of the slammer, (laughs) and it doesn't go as planned. And why would it? Because... Yeah. So we, we start out with Martha bo- Martha's body being found in a shallow grave, and, and they talk about all her life she was waiting for something. When she was a kid, she was waiting for pirates to, like, kidnap her and take her yeah. off to this, like, really good adventure. I'm like, that's weird. She's um, got, like, I feel like she kind of ended up going the way she was dreaming about almost, you know. It was this drama that she did want to unfold, right? Um, yeah. or she, and then when she was a, a teenager, she wanted to be um, discovered by a Hollywood talent scout, um, and she wanted to have this whirlwind romance and it just like nothing ever happened the way she wanted it to or something like that. And I think that is sad for your life to, you know, not have gone the way you wanted it to. Definitely. Definitely. But she is going to be famous, which yes. the, the cops say she's going to be famous. So she is getting that. And then they show that little smile on her Face. And the police officer talking to her dead corpse, you know, mm-hmm. hey, little lady, you're going to be on the front page of every um, paper in the state. I don't know if we just live in a state where there's a lot going on, but I just don't know that that would be the same here. Right. I, I don't, I, I mean, maybe you'd get a mention. Like, I don't know. Maybe a mention, but I feel like you'd have to dig for it. And also, I haven't touched a paper in a very long time. Like everything's digital for me. So front page, oh. does it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not reading local stuff very often unless there's something related to me that goes on. But, I mean, let's be honest, I don't pay for the digital local paper, so I can mm. never read it anyway. That's not true. Not me I... personally. Not me personally in the paper. Um, but, you know, something related to school or right. a restaurant. Right. Um, Felicia, her sister, who's in, who's uh, on Wisteria Lane in her absence, receives the bad news that Martha's body has been found. And then we kind of have this, like, phone tree of you know Felicia will tell this one person and then this one person will tell the next person I really do in I do really like that idea of a phone tree as opposed to you know I've experienced a loss in the last couple months and it was really hard to call and have that conversation with 10 different people and you I would have really appreciated there to be someone who says okay I'll pass it on you know yes 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 um also, I found it a little odd that Felicia was not sad. She is, and she's, she's I can't, beautiful. I can't wait to know more about her. Like, what is your life, Felicia, is where I need to go with that. And Harriet Sampson Harris just plays it really, really well. Um, yes. Because I, I feel her as BB from Frasier. Like, she's just, she's just fascinating to me. Um, but in particular, that, like, there's something up with you that when you get, you know, the first words she said to Edie upon meeting her were, I've always been so telekinetically um, linked to my sister, telepathically she's linked dead. to my sister, and I know she must be dead. Oh, no, she's not dead. Oh, you poor sweet doll. <laughs> right, right. 
I, there's there's some layers that I hope get unpeeled there. Yes, I can't wait to, to discover that with you when we get more about her. Oh, she's sticking around. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll get some more. She's she's hanging I'm out. Excited. She's I'm hanging excited. Out. Oh, so cut to cut to Edie and Mike and Susan little love triangle. So Mike, I didn't realize he was so skilled that he's gonna do a whole house, but here we are. Um. So was is he doing the whole house for Edie or is it? Apparently, yeah. Well, or you know, because we see them doing blueprints a little bit later, yeah. and he's not there. So I like knowing how a construction works. I've only ever worked with a construction company where, yeah, there was one person that I really talked to, but there are a lot of people doing the work. I always right. thought Mike was more of like the doing the work as opposed to project management. Um, but you know, Edie will do anything to spend more time with Mike, and and so. I like for me I was like how does he have the resources to right yeah you're gonna put this stuff out there like you know and you're you're renting how do you know all the players that are involved and so terribly interesting and again we've also seen him as a plumber not necessarily a contractor that's that's where I was with it I was like oh but I thought he only just did pipes and porcelain but here he's gonna build the house and Susan's of course miffed about this and I gotta say in the spirit of honesty Susan should just come clean with how she feels and why. Like, I can't imagine, like, Mike really seems like he wants to be the guy for her. And Mm -hmm. I feel like my husband, if I said to him, look, this broad that you're good friends with is really trying to put the screws to me and get in between us, Mm -hmm. I feel like he would back out and slam that door and and be done with it. And I got to say, I feel like Mike Delfino is that guy for Susan. And I wish she'd just say, look, Edie is trying to move in on this and I'm uncomfortable. And perhaps it's just the the way the rest of the episode um, kind of takes a life, it takes on a life of its own that she gets distracted or something like that. Because I feel like there was a follow-up conversation that would be had and they just didn't go in that direction. There was just too much going on and I think maybe that's the pace of how the season is going now. But yeah, I, I agree. There should have been a follow-up conversation. Like, Yeah, yeah. Hmm. If you want to make a go of it, you got to be honest. I agree. Um, so Lynette, is, <laughs> Lynette attempts to, uh, you know, get some of her center back, right? So she's going to, she's going to this yoga class and it looks kind of like a more, um, fancy type of yoga than like when I go to the Y or when I yes. go t- to my university and do it. Um, like it's like a yoga studio, like it's a boot- proper, it's a boutique yoga studio for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I've not been in this situation before, but I could totally see getting irritated with one of my students if they did this, that there is a sign up for 10 spots, 20 spots, and you make yourself number 21. I could totally, my, my mind would be blown too. Like there's obviously a reason that I only have this many spots on my list and Lynette uh, needs to get her kids into the daycare so that she can, so that she can do yoga. And so she's adding herself to the bottom of the list. And the, you know, the, the woman, Lauren, you know, says, oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that. And yeah, she's kind of a jerk, but you really can't do that. There's a reason. That's okay. Lauren's kind of a jerk with her magazine and the way she treats Lynette. However... Like, a rule is a rule, and in childcare, like, there's got to be the right student-to-teacher ratio, mm-hmm. and Lynette's kids are not easy, even though it's not the whole posse of them. It's it's not like you're bringing the most well-behaved child who's going to sit and just color in a book and adding, oh, one more won't, won't be anything. You know, you're adding an infant and then a, a boy who throws stuff at you from the backseat of your van. I, I just... I don't know. This sucks for Lynette because I get it. She's, she's, you know, 
got rid of Claire because Claire's too beautiful for her. <laughs> Tom oh, can handle, God forbid. But rules are there for a reason. And it's it's not fair to the next person who maybe got stuck in traffic and ha- and had some other legit reason and they missed the yoga class. Like it, I don't know. Rules are there for a reason and I don't, I don't like how Lynette handles this. I don't like the attitude of the girl at the desk, but I also, I can understand attitude when someone does something just that's pretty, pretty audacious to do that. But um, well, that's part. And I'm sure Lauren's going to get in trouble if there are more children in there than they're allowed to be. Again, like you said, we know that there are rules about how many caregivers to a child and, and this right. is why daycare and uh, soapbox and, and full, full, full disclosure totally had the situation I I had a I was having my baby I was pregnant and looking for child care for after I had the baby um I was due in April I found out in September and I started looking around and I I was 10 weeks pregnant and people are like oh yeah we're you know we're full until 2017 it was 2013 and I'm like I didn't even know my husband four years ago. So, like, when do you start looking for childcare? So, I know it's on a on a smaller scale, but I understand the problem, or not problem, but the the you know the 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 process of finding childcare and even short term childcare when you show up to the Y and there's no more room in the inn. Yeah, I gotta skip yoga that morning. It does suck. So. Sure, I like sure. I like that Lynette uh, curses uh, Lauren with I hope you have lots of children someday to which I'm I'm hope I bet Lauren every time she like thought about what birth control device she might be using like oh that woman gave me the stink eye I'm gonna get pregnant now right that woman ugh, that dishonest woman anyway Lynette is not high on my list I get episode. you I see that ugh. oh Brie. Still, you know, separated from Rex, but she's working on her her romance, in air quotes, with George, the pharmacist. And it's so clear to me that maybe she enjoys spending time with George because he does seem to have things in common with her and liking to go antiquing and, and different things. So it's very possible that she is enjoying the interactions of having, like, a buddy to go do things with. But it is also incredibly clear to me from that car scene where he's opening door, he's opening the door and whatnot, um, and she's looking up at the window, trying to like time it right and make as much noise mm-hmm. as possible so that Rex is seeing her with George. It's so clear to me the level of manipulation, and at the same time, I can understand how George is perceiving this as someone's genuine interest in me, and that's really problematic. And it doesn't seem on brand with Brie. Yeah. Like, it's so on ish to me, if that's a word. No, but it's, it's totally, yeah, it's totally off brand. I, I completely agree. Um, and she, you know, she's very excited to see him the next time because it will, you know, one, maybe again, she's having fun with these interactions. But second, the, the more opportunity for uh, Rex to be jealous, that'll be great. Yeah, I, it it seems it doesn't seem Brieish to me because it's it feels a little unkind and dishonest, and I don't find her to be mm-hmm. that way. But it's also a little desperate, and we haven't seen we've seen her be in this kind of pious position with other people where she's pitying them. But like, it the desperation isn't her normal vibe, I guess. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to to 
continue tracking that as, as things with George, yeah, go a little lopsided pretty soon. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. A little, they end up a little off balance, for sure. <laughs> unbalanced? Um, oh, what's that? <laughs> totally unbalanced. Yes. Oh, so Gabby figures out when Carlos comes home that, well, it's not going to go back to how she thought it was going to because he can't leave to go to work. And she and she's upset that she they're you know apparently drinking swill uh, for the for the champagne that she's brought out like welcome home I'm sorry about that. I have the cheap stuff but now we can restock the liquor cabinet she really does see this as the answer to all of her prayers her life is going to go back to normal even though your husband is still um, uh, you know he's uh, forget the house arrest part um, even if you're out on bail awaiting trial your life doesn't exactly go back to normal depending on what um, what what field you're in. For instance, as a teacher, I'm pretty sure I'm not welcome back in my classroom. Right. Yeah, um, Gabby didn't really think this one all the way through. She just wanted the lights back on, you know, and she didn't make it all the way through. And the cheap champagne, I have to say, uh, we went to a tasting where there were 300 bottles, including bottles that were, you know, between 80 and $300. And what I've learned is I would probably only like the champagne that, uh, or I do only like the champagne that Gabby wouldn't like. So I'm like her leftovers. Oh, well, you know, that's okay. Uh, um, Carlos says, but you've been working. And she said, well, this isn't, this isn't Milan. This isn't New York. This isn't, this isn't somewhere where I make as much money as I did before modeling and I I the pronunciation of this word which I would have called haute couture that's the correct pronunciation but man the way Gabby says it makes me feel really bad about myself I can't remember how she says it but oats like it's it looks like hot but yes. it's like oat yes. yes but the way she says it I can't even replicate it just, I don't know, it just felt like, but it's like, it, it didn't necessarily feel French, or like, sound French, it just sounded like a way I don't, like, when somebody, oh, um, there's another word, um, aluminum, because I'm American, but when oh. I hear somebody say, Alum, aluminium, or whatever. Yes, and I just, like, I just feel really bad about myself now. That's like when people say aunt or aunt. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, I but, feel like such a fraud if I say aunt, because mm-hmm. that's not how I grew up saying it. Listeners, if anybody um, knows whether Gabby's saying it the right way, like I believe that it's oat, but I'd love to know. I'd love to know from somebody who has the straight up comparison about about if Gabby's way is correct as well. I'm, and sure, I, it, I'm sure it is. I'd love a but... plethora of voice memos with people saying oat couture yes. and and trying to replicate Gabby's because I just can't do it. I sat there and then it sent me on a rabbit hole where I'm like, am I the wrong one saying it wrong? But no, like Google and YouTube and lots of places were saying it exactly the same as I was, including French speakers, um, <laughs> first first language French speakers. So I'm like, I'm not, that's not wrong. I just don't know how Gabby says it. So anyway. You're not wrong. You're doing great. You're doing great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel seen. Good. I see you. I see you. I'm here for you. Okay, so we're still we're still going along with um, the Martha Huber scenario, and we've got the detectives talking to Felicia, trying to find information, and asks them if uh, Felicia they ask Felicia if she's got anything that could be helpful, and she kind of does like a mini press conference where she's yes. talking about her sister's death, and she is not mincing words. This woman is like relishing 
the dirty details of this woman's murder. And she even starts with, well, we might as well give the vultures something to, you know, something to hear. We might as well give them, you know, a a taste of this because otherwise they won't leave me alone. But it's not, I'm going to tell them this so that they leave me alone. It's like, yeah, she is relishing this. This sounds very exciting to her. Um, And I I, I do appreciate that she can find the silver lining in all of this, that you know, though she had a violent death and was buried alive and because they know this because she inhaled some of the dirt um, and she was probably in great pain. But don't worry, there's no evidence to suggest she's been molested. Um, Like, yeah, that was very, that was interesting for her to throw in there. That was interesting for her to throw in there. And I love how she's talking about the uh, memorial service. There won't be one, but she's going (laughs) to, Sell all her stuff, but like no personal checks. Hey, I don't know you Just people. <laughs> likely to go to the bank. <laughs> likely one of you people had something to do with this murder, and I'm not going to trust you enough for a personal check anyway. But if you want to come, steal, like buy some of her, her stuff, go right ahead. Yeah, but don't come with your bouncing checks. Just can't, cash. Only. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Um, and and again, right now, you can't spend cash anywhere. Basically, like we're the opposite of that now. No cash. Right, and like I said, when when, uh, when Paul Young did this, man, I just have an honesty sale. Put it out on the front yard. If you want to give me something in my Venmo, feel free. <laughs> because I'm not going right. to negotiate with you over what this is worth. It's not worth anything right. to me. So, <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be on my front lawn. <sighs> um, and all of this really does get to Edie, who wants to uh, who wants to honor Mrs. Hoover, wants to memorialize her, and and really, as we've discovered, was her only real female friend, and she didn't understand why she didn't have any female friends. It's not really lost on me, um, but that Mrs. Hoover was his, you know was her best friend. It was a really weird and toxic relationship, but it was her best friend. So. Um, uh, Edie goes to the the goes to Lynette's house to talk to Lynette, and she finds all of them there playing poker, and invites them to a would be uh, memorial service that they're going to that she's going to Torch Lake to uh, spread her uh, spread Mrs. Hooper's ashes because that's where her husband proposed, which is so sweet, and of course Edie sure. knows that detail because they're friends. Yeah, and everybody's too busy to go, except Susan, who just says, "I don't want to go," which. I have great respect for that. I wish that I could be like, sorry, I can't be there because I just don't want to go. We both need to get better at that. I feel like um, the the like the the quote that comes to mind is, if it's not an enthusiastic yes, it's a no, and I'm bad at that. Yes, I'm yes. very bad at that. I I too am bad at that because I feel like if someone asks, I'm supposed to do it, and if I, I can only not do it if I don't have a good reason. Yeah, let's work on that. Let's do that work. Thank you. I would like to do that work. Um, I do have to ask about semi-formal, like semi-formal for like I, I really I did I did the work of like that's a cocktail dress, right? Mm-hmm. And like homecoming versus prom. But when I brought that up to somebody, they're like, "We wore gowns to homecoming." I'm like, "What were we thinking?" Like we could we just didn't understand the level of appropriateness of of things. But then it it became a thing. I wouldn't go to a memorial service in a gown. No. So I nobody would go would in have... a cocktail dress. I would no. go in like a. Like a sweater and pants, or like a black dress and tights. 
Like so, for whom was that semi-formal? Did was was Edie? Maybe it wasn't even a thing, but like I would assume that that was Edie getting a, a jab in. Maybe the writers were like, you know, she would tell people that they need to dress semi-formal because they dress like crap most of the time. Like, who oh, would that be directed be. to? But they all, I mean, if anything, what we saw in, at Mary Alice's wake was that, yeah, it was inappropriate that Gabby's dress was super sexy, um, but nobody was inappropriately dressed. Yeah. I feel like they were all on par with what that should look like. Yeah. But, but it, anyway, maybe, it, maybe like, that's something that started in the writer's room and it just didn't translate, but it, I think it would have been funnier if she was like, so if any of you need help picking out what to wear it, like I felt I felt like there was just a better a better stab that could have been happening there so yeah for yeah. sure um and let's talk for a minute about how Lynette chooses to keep her kids out of the room oh um, the biggest parenting mistake ever fail. come on Lynette do not uh, give those boys gum nothing good is gonna come of that and it doesn't because no. in the next scene <laughs> Where sweet little Parker ends up with wads of it in his hair. And, uh, okay, I've gotten gum in my own hair before, blowing yes. a bubble, trying to be all fancy, because back when Hubba Bubba was the gum of choice, or like <laughs> big like chew garbage, yes. you would blow those huge bubbles that would be really loose, like not a tight bubble that would like snap yes. back in your face, but like a loose one that when it would pop, it would like everywhere. I 100% got gum in my hair because I had the the 90s hair with the you know the oh yeah the, you know what I'm saying with the 90s hair where it's close to your fa- face framing like a lion's yeah. mane and I definitely got gum in it but like the way that that sweet angel had gum in his hair was not accidentally oh no it, it was like let me stick some wads of this in your hair Yes, and let's, you know, uh, my thought was always that um, we cut my hair. My cousins and I were having a sleepover, and we were never allowed to have scissors because what if you cut your hair? And we just, we had finally been able to convince our parents that we could be responsible with scissors. So then, of course, we proceeded to cut our hair. And That's a ab- rite of passage. That's a thousand percent a rite of passage. So by the same token, I, what I see this happening is Parker, Porter, and Preston up there saying, usually we're not allowed to have gum because mom says we'll get it in our hair. How would that even happen? And then they took out a chunk of bubble gum and then said, oh, well, maybe if I put it right here. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, well, I can do the same to you. And just, you know, Parker got the worst of it, apparently. Um, Preston and... and um, Porter are just better at it, and they always are. They always they're always getting in more trouble than Parker is. Um, but um, it's so sweet as Lynetta's trying to get it out of his hair, and I totally get this because even though yeah, you gave him the gum, man, one more chore after you've done all of the things in the day, mm-hmm. like you know, you just don't want one more chore, and this one in particular would be. Yeah. Yeah, and and really annoying, and you're by yourself, and who knows what the other kids are doing as you're trying to deal with this crisis, Um, and and, um, she says, you know, this is just what you get um, for for doing it, but I'm also a bit cranky, and I want to be the best mommy I can be, but I didn't get my yoga, Um, and, and he says, well, I think you are the best mommy, and she's like, well, let's see if you like me after I shave your head. And then he asks if she, if he's if she's mad at him, mm. and I wonder, is it okay to tell your kid that you're mad at them? Because oh yeah, for sure. I use it very strategically with students. Like yeah. I don't say, 
I don't blast off at my kids, but when I have a kid that is just doing something that's unsafe or getting in their own way, if I'm having a one-on-one conversation, every once in a while I will say, I'm really, I can tell you're mad and I'm really mad too. Like, mm. I think that's important. I, I don't know. Maybe oh, wrong no, 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 no. I, well, I think it's also like acknowledging your feelings and, and being one with your feelings, like accepting that you have feelings and that you can get mad sometimes. Um, and, and particularly with students, it's like, I don't know if I, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I'm mad at you, but I really don't want this to happen again. Or like the situation is really annoying or, you know, uh, or in, and it, and it be totally different than, yeah, I'm mad at you. It doesn't mean I don't like you. It definitely doesn't mean I don't care about you. If I didn't care about you, I probably couldn't get it mad enough at you. I'd just be indifferent. Right. And I think that's the, that's the point that I make is like, I'm mad too, because I want you to learn. And yeah. you're getting in your own way. Like. Yeah. And, and like Lynette says, like with my own daughter, it's like, I don't like that we're having a really negative interaction right now. Uh, this mm-hmm. really sucks for me. I really don't want to spend the next 15 minutes finding your ear pod because you left it somewhere for the 15th time. Right. I know I really don't want to spend my time doing this, but I shouldn't have to do. I, I you know, I, I shouldn't have to be happy about it. I'm willing to do it. It's part of my job as your mother, but I don't, yeah, it doesn't, I don't have to be happy about it. We don't have to be happy about all of the things that we have to do, especially when it's something like this. Like I I, I shouldn't have to be happy and have a a smile on my face and a song in my heart as I try to get the gum out of your hair. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Even Mary Poppins wouldn't have liked this one. Come on, man. So Brie and George are on a cute little picnic for lunch and George is trying to get a tiny bit romantic, like just yeah. very, very slightly romantic. And, and Brie is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It's but enough then, to can't, it's enough to end the, you know, it's like, oh, you should be getting back, shouldn't you? Like this is enough to cancel the rest of the day. Yes. But then he pulls out a gift for her. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, what was that gift? A vintage World War II is it my, Luger? 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 Yes. I don't. Pist- I don't have it, my gun name. It, it is a pistol, right? Okay. Um, and she says, "Mother of Pearl," and it was an antique. It was George's grandfather's, and it is like this is the most turned on I feel like I've ever seen Brie, and it makes me think that you know maybe if this was the kind of kink that Rex was into, maybe they're just not exploring one another's. Um, like I, I see a Venn diagram happening here. Like yeah, yeah. there's something here. There's something like we can make this work. Um, and it's enough of a turn on the gun is enough of a turn on for Brie that as, um, that as she's holding it, she allows him to have that intimate, that intimate contact with her. And I'm just like, yeah, I I see potential here for Rex. Brie is 32 flavors and then some, she is so like, I love that. That was complicated. And like her, she's, she has these layers man layers and layers I know I keep saying that but like there's just it was an unexpected it was an unexpected gift and then an unexpected reaction for Brie like we know she loves her guns but that was like her currency you know that was the key to the castle almost 
apparently so because he got to what would we call that first base i don't even know right. what we call that um with the the uh and she was not willing to let him do that before and that becomes complicated and pro- possibly problematic but um because and i guess there's my soapbox is like the the joke in my house is you know every kiss begins with k and i'm like no like maybe put away the dishes like, yeah, <laughs> like, right. I right. wash, uh, wash the romaine for our salads so that yeah. it's dry by the time we have dinner. So that's apparently, love. That's yeah, appar- love. Or starting my car, going to get me gas in my car. Especially during um, the winter. Oh, yeah. Midwestern winters, man, they're hard on they're hard on people. I hate really, the gas station in winter. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I don't even know what I would pay for that valet service if I found a place that did drive up and they would pump your gas for you oh man i'd pay it at gas gas prices what they are i'd still pay more there is a place that does that it's called the entire state of oregon and Shut it's why up. no i will not and when i moved to i Ohio, love this i had no, well actually before even that like when i would go visit my dad in san diego one time my friend went with me and we were going to disneyland and i we got in the car and had to get gas on the way to la and i didn't know how to do it Oh so my some God. man came over and, and pumped gas for me. But then when I moved to Ohio from Oregon, I, ha- I had no idea how to do it. And I found a gas station. It's like, is it Oregon was- 1950 or something? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. But I found a gas station near where we lived that, that pumped your gas for you. And I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little out of the way for me. But if it wasn't, I would go there just to get gas. <laughs> Yes, they also have delicious wine and great seafood, so I, I highly recommend it for a lot of reasons. They also don't have sales tax, so add that to the list. Well, I only like, like, five places, so maybe I've got to branch out to go to, to, go to this, a, the state of find a sixth one. Okay, all right, um, I'm game. All right, we end up uh, with Susan panicking. When Felicia reveals that Martha kept extremely detailed diary entries of her mundane life, including neighborhood gossip, and man, you just know that Mrs. Hoover had to have put something in there about Susan, the measuring cup, and the arson. Well, and this doesn't surprise me because of how much she was in everybody's business, and like, we already know she was trying to blackmail basically blackmail Mary Alice. So mm-hmm. it, like keeping these weird accounts of what everybody's doing so that she can prosper from it later. I don't think Susan's the only person that should be nervous, quite frankly. About absolutely. Absolutely. But apparently, and Felicia's just giving this information out willy nilly, which is interesting to me too. I understand for the plot to move forward, we need that to happen. But again, if your sister died a violent death, it was likely somebody who knew her. So somebody on the street probably knows something about it. And you're just kind of willy nilly giving this evidence or giving away this information that, hey, the detectives want the diaries that Martha kept, but I'm going to go through them and make sure that there's nothing in them that is incriminating to the family or would, you know, give away any family details. I'm like, I I really don't think you can separate out an ingredient from this pie. Um, Right. So I I think she was hmm. trying to shake the trees a little bit by saying that and see what scurries around being nervous. Okay, you know? that's fair. I guess if you, yeah, if you gauge the person's reaction um, mm-hmm. and they have a reaction, then maybe you found something. So yeah, that's fair. I, I like that. Thank you, Amanda. I believe her to be a strategic person. 
Um, and, and as always, Susan goes to Julie for advice um, about this. And Julie, this is interesting, Julie now advises Susan to just go tell Edie Britt that she burned down her house. It was an accident. Um, and says, you know, if the police, if, if she's not, if she doesn't, um, you know, press charges, then chances are the police will just let it go. But the whole, this whole thing kind of did hinge on Julie at the beginning saying that if dad finds out about this, he will use it as an excuse to reopen custody and I don't want to live with him. And so has that just fallen by the wayside? Hard to say if it's fallen by the wayside or if it's fallout from from um, mm. Susan sending Zach back to Creepy Paul Young, or, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe because Carl's all brokenhearted after after his split up. Maybe, mm. you know, who knows why Julie isn't as worried about this anymore. But I, I feel like, I feel like this is the, this is the inevitable. It's gonna come out, Susan. So you might as well be on the front end of it. And and she will and she'll try it. I can't wait to see how that that works out. Um, but Mike arrives home to see his door open and the place a mess, um, and that there is an answering machine. I just can I just take a moment and say that the most two thousand four thing about this episode is an answering machine. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's <laughs> an answering machine message that says um, basically, Mike, you're fired, and this and I'll use the information that you were able to get. Uh, for your replacement who will be taking over. Why did he need to rough up the hole downstairs? Like, everything was in the cabinet. Just seems like I, a dick move. Yeah. It, like, yeah. It just, it really seemed like some anger. Like, he went in there and was just having a tantrum. We still don't know who he's investigating, right? Right? Do we know? Who no, we know. We have some, we, do? we have ideas, right? Because probably Paul Young, probably the king of creep on the lane, right? Now with okay, so we know why he's investigating. I guess that was better. The better yeah, Desiree, yeah, he, yeah. right? Uh, um, Deirdre, Deirdre, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's I okay. get my D names mixed up. No, that's okay. Now we don't know if he has anything on Paul Young. I don't. I feel like I don't know what he has on what he has on multiple people. Is right. that and again, it might be because of the props department and the art department not doing as much as they could have when mm-hmm. we see these pictures of you know Susan, which are from inside her house talking to Julie and that were used as promo, you know, pictures mm-hmm. for the series. Like that was you know that's a little much. Um, mm-hmm. If you're gonna take them, they should be candid and they shouldn't you know. But everything has to be a glamour shot because this is us in our very best light, in our very best makeup, wearing our very best clothes, and really just setting up it. You know, it, it was um, the insta worthy life before insta was a thing. For sure. Long long live the low-rise gene. <laughs> Coming back. Right, right. <laughs> um, not, on, not on this frame, it's not. Same. But, but, but I, mean, I, pulled out some, I pulled out some jeans from like five years ago that I put on, and I'm like, just because it fits doesn't mean it should ship. This is, a, this is no longer a look. Um, but I, I'm still voting it's, it's Paul because he's the king of the creep. No, I'm I'm there for I'm there for that. Okay, all right. Um, Lynette, going yeah, we're back to Lynette. Yeah, she does, man. Okay, getting somewhere ten minutes early when everything is so um not in your control is super duper hard. For instance, I had a class when I was in college that started at six thirty, 
and my work got done at six, like my work closed at six and closing, you were probably going to be out of there at like 6.15, but getting across town in 15 minutes to that mm-hmm. class, it was, it was impossible. It was an impossible dream from the very beginning. I needed to leave at 5.45 to get there to that 6.30 class, but I'm the one that signed up for the class. It's my, you know, whatever. I should get, I should take the dirty looks when I walk in at 6.29, um, mm-hmm. but she gets there at 10 minutes. She gets there 10 minutes early and she still can't get her kids into the yoga daycare because it's already full. Um, however, Lauren is going to bend the rules for Lynette because she mistakenly guesses that Parker with his new shaved head and she is called and Lynette had previously called him a sick child. Um, <laughs> uh, she's going to bend the rules for her because she now thinks that it's possible that Parker has cancer. This makes me so uncomfortable really really uncomfortable really uncomfortable so beyond the beyond the fake cancer which just i can't with that but i know um i also don't like that this place isn't welcoming to lynette to begin with like i agree it's not it doesn't seem like a place that wants her business so i went um i used to go to orange theory oh yeah and i loved it before um before i got my peloton bike i I was hardcore Orange Theory and loved it. Mm-hmm. And there was this one coach that whenever I was there, like I would always get there 15 minutes early because I liked this certain treadmill because if you <laughs> got the wrong treadmill, you were either back in the corner or like right by the window where the sun was coming in because it was late mm-hmm. day sun. And it just, I mean, if I'm going to work out, I, I don't need some reason to not be successful because I can come up with plenty of those on my own, right? Exactly. I need all my ducks in a row. I need to be wearing yes. what I want to wear. It's the like right water bottle. It's like Susan with Mike. She needs to have being in charge of the lighting and everything like that. Because Orange Theory is a hard workout. Love it. But there was this one coach that just, there were people that would go every day and that's really expensive. And yeah. I was going in an area that was pretty bougie. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't doing every day because I was also training for a marathon and doing other stuff, but also because it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And this coach would like only talk to the people who were there every day. And <sighs> like they would come out and talk to us before we go in for class. And she would like say hi to everybody and literally just like walk past me. And I finally was like, I'm not, I don't need to pay this money and come to this place where I'm supposed to be feeling good about myself and have somebody make me feel like I wasn't invited to their party. Like, I'll come at a different time. Like, I wish, I wish Lynette would have looked for that, a, like, either a place or a different time at that studio that she would be welcomed differently. Right. Because we have that choice. We don't have to, we don't typically have to go be around people who are ugly to us. So I wish she would have made a different choice to that. And it doesn't feel like Wisteria Lane or Fairview in general would be this isolated place where you have one YMCA and right. you have not, like, I, I feel like, I feel you. I feel like she did have different options. And um, particularly if, if this place is so limited in their childcare, you need somewhere that is going to be a little bit more open with their childcare. Right. Right. Um, they're not, I, they're not rural. They, they for sure no. have a mall. Yeah. Gabby, Gabby went there yeah. multiple times for multiple adventures. Like there are other places this place isn't your people. Go somewhere different. I mean, she gets into the door. My thought would be, I can't continue this farce forever. So maybe I got into yoga this time, but now I need a new studio anyway. Because right. um, going to come out, sis. Yeah, well, and oh my God. Like, I could never face this person again. If no. I, oh, what a gosh. horrible thing to lie about. That's a horrible yes. thing to lie about. Yes. Horrible. 
inexcusable. Oh, golly. <sighs> speaking of lies. Speaking of lies. Susan, in her, you know, in her discussion with Julie, um, yeah, you're going to have to go suck up to Edie Britt. She says, she's trying. Susan is trying. She goes to confess to Edie, but she just can't. She absolutely cannot do it. And so instead, she agrees to go with Edie to spread Mrs. Hooper's ashes. And it just feels like I'm, I've done something bad and I'm trying to do something good to, to assuage my guilt. Um... And also, I had to have an excuse for actually being here. These women clearly don't like each other. Why are they continuing to torture themselves by being around each other? I will ask the same question in a couple of scenes. I will have the same question, so I want to circle back to that. Because there's something that happens, and I'm just like, why would you even want that? Anyway, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, okay, you want to take us to Gabby? Yeah, so Gabby comes home exhausted from her not haute couture modeling <laughs> job. She comes home with a bucket of chicken, to which my husband was like, hell yes, a bucket of chicken. Yes. Because um, he's, that, fun fact, um, his kids were in sports, and anytime there was a banquet, mm-hmm. if I was in charge of whatever we were bringing, it would always be, you know, like a home-baked good, and if he was in charge, it would be a bucket of chicken. From KFC, and that bucket of chicken would be gone before, yes. like before half of the people even made it through the buffet line. True. Um, so a bucket of chicken, nothing says I love you like a bucket. So she comes home <laughs> with this greasy bucket of chicken in her dress, <sighs> and Carlos, instead of being like, "Put your feet up, let me take care of you," is like, "Well, did you go see Mama in the hospital?" And Gabby didn't because she didn't have time. Nor she did, did she say, probably... did she, didn't she say 10 hours? Yeah. Something like that. But also, even if it was two hours, she doesn't want to go see her. Right. Right. So Carlos can't leave the idea of kids alone. We already know how Gabby feels about it. She doesn't want her body negotiated over. And he makes some comment about being the man of the house. And this is where <laughs> I loved Gabby the most yes. so far. She makes a statement by taking that bucket of chicken and going across the street and sitting down on the curb to have dinner and poor Carlos. Can he join her, Rachel? No, but you know what? It's not lost on me. Like, I would have said, you know what? You are the man of the house. You are the man. Here is the house. I'm going to go sit across the street. You are not the man. You are not the man of the chicken. You are not the man of across the street. Right. Like you are the like, man of your your hundred yard hundred foot radius. So this power, you know, this power show. differential, right? It's like, yeah, this is you are the man of this house. Here is all your power, and your power ends at the front door. Yes. So how powerful do you feel now? <laughs> like you, you don't even have the power to take away the chicken. I feel like this is the first time we've seen Gabby like be honest and stick up for herself. In a way that isn't, you know, like I'm keeping the I'm keeping the maid um and manipulative that this is just yeah, a, a statement of boundaries. And she's pissed. She's tired. She's tired. Literally tired. And this isn't turning out how she wanted, and her life's turned upside down, and she's going to have her chicken across the street. And Bye, again, Carlos. you've broken a boundary about when I want to talk about my reproductive health. Don't get me started on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 2022. Mm-hmm. It's 
step up here. Right. Oh, um, so Brie, you, having received this beautiful gift from George, you got to take it out, right? So Brie takes George out shooting. It looks like they're somewhere rural. Now, I have never shot, I have never um, gone to a shooting range. I have plenty of people in my family that, that do, and they do it on their own property, but there are really specific rules about that so that no one gets hurt. You know, you can't just shoot into an open field and, and and hope everything works out. There there are rules about this, um, and it's dark outside. I, nobody in my family shoots at night, um, so and and the, so this is interesting to me. First of all, that it's at night. Um, also, uh, in reading um, the Desperate Housewives book, Marsha Cross said that she's never uh, fired a real gun, and she still hadn't at the time that she did this one. So, oh. you know, like, she just seemed to know so much. I, I'm surprised that that wasn't part of her, um, you know, studying to be Brie is that she would go yeah. shooting. But none, right. nonetheless, I was like, oh, I totally bought that you know what you're talking about. For sure. Um, and George talks about, you know, how much this is all meant to him, that he's forgetting what it feels like to be lonely. And Brie just, <laughs> just so yeah. polite, so cordial and says, okay, now hold the gun like you would hold a white dove. <laughs> how I've never held a white dove before. I, I don't know that I would know what to do with that. No, I, I do uh, enjoy like how you would hold something, how you would hold something delicate without wanting to hurt it, but at the same time being firm with it, right? Like mm -hmm. when we hold a baby, I don't hold it flimsily because I don't want the baby to fall out of my arms, but I also don't, you know, again, so it was just, for me, you're right, I've never held a white dove, and I can't say that most people have. I'm just going out on a limb here. So. It's not well, a common experience. I appreciate the imagery, I suppose, mm -hmm. as an English teacher. Um, and in this moment, George tries to kiss Brie, and instead he ends up shooting himself. Of course he does. Oh. Of course he does. I mean, it was a desperate attempt by him to get, to kiss her, because, and he does it in a time somewhat manipulative, somewhat contrived, because he knew that she was really turned on by the gun gift, and it allowed him to move forward in, in securing intimacy, and he's trying to replicate that experience. I get it from a logical standpoint. Um, at the same time, someone who's holding a, a loaded firearm, apparently, you might not want to surprise them. No, and he certainly paid the price for that, and the price was <laughs> his, his middle toe. Middle toe. It should have no effect on your balance on the bright right. side. Right. It's typically the pinky toe or the big toe that would have a major effect on your balance. Definitely. I just say you're forever scarred by this experience, however. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. At the hospital, yeah, um, revealed that he ends up losing his middle toe. And he's not as sad about that as he is that Brie pulled away from him. I gotta say, I'd be more upset about my toe, so he must really, really care about Brie. I think this is our first glimpse into how maybe off-balance he is mm. regarding Brie. And bringing up, um, he says you would, he said you, you said you would never forgive Rex, and it, that's unbalanced too, is that anybody who's going through trauma and says, I'm never ever going to do this again, you know, 
anybody with any level of, I think, of common sense should know that it's playing a part. Emotion is playing a part in some of those um, big, sweeping, dramatic statements or gestures that we do and allow for some grace. Um, but his level of desperation is, is, yeah, becoming clear to me here. Yeah, that was a tough date, but I, I appreciate that Brie is kind of maybe not going to be leading him on anymore. Like, Yes, and, and says that you shouldn't listen to a woman who's just had her heart broken. We tend to lie, so she really is admitting that mm-hmm. that wasn't honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Back to yoga. And yoga might be hard with a missing toe. Like, maybe Ooh. eventually it'd be okay, but do you think yoga would be, some yoga poses would be tough after shooting off one's own middle toe? Yes, because some yoga poses are hard for me when I have all of my toes, and I, I do okay. enjoy um, having all ten of my toes. So, yeah, I would agree. That would be something that would be hard. And also ice skating. For me, ice skating would be would be Ooh. much harder. So no, Ice no. skating just gives me nightmares thinking about it. So I'm just oh. Well, we're putting that on a list of things that we have to do together now. So. Oh, no, no, Sorry. because I'm a, I will fall and someone will skate <laughs> over my fingers, and I won't lose toes. I will lose the tips of my fingers from somebody's ice skate blade. In 20 years of ice skating, I have literally never seen anybody's fingers be cut off. I got to put it out there. I have not. Speaking uh-huh. of ice skating, I feel like this is important to share. I did mm-hmm. a run this morning um, using the Peloton app, uh-huh. and it was an 80s run, and the first song was from the movie Cutting Edge. Oh, look at that. Topic. Best movie. Best movie ever. <laughs> uh, not even the best ice skating movie, but okay. I'll give you What? That. It's no, not? Sorry. Nope. Not even close. What's the best ice skating movie? Ice, ice Castles? castles. Mm-hmm. I knew how to play that on the piano back in the day. The theme song from it. <laughs> Just enough to depress you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, that, was that the one where somebody went blind or something? Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, but then, but then that cutting edge there's blindness because his peripheral vision i've also not i've not experienced that in 20 years either the biggest like the the injuries that people have are typically the injuries that any athlete gets after you know putting your body through the ringer hip hip dysplasia like people with you know like all sorts like those are the issues i even like i took a topic right to the knee it hurt um but it really didn't do that much damage it's what you do to your body to be that athlete that does mm-hmm. damage, but nonetheless. Were you a competitive ice skater? I was. <gasps> what? I know, right? Mm, we gotta we gotta dive into that eventually. I know, we gotta get you on some ice skates. I have a seven hundred dollar pair that's just sitting there waiting for me to wear them again someday. That's a that's a hard pass, but I'll come sit in the <laughs> I'll come sit in the stand. Did I ever tell you that I used to live near where Tanya Harding would practice? Oh, no, but when, as soon as somebody said Oregon for you, that's exactly where my mind goes. Because Heck that's, yes. Yeah, that's Heck exactly yes. it. Back when yeah. she was getting drunk and throwing hubcaps at her boyfriend <laughs> in her uh, glory days. Anyway, so much to, so much to the say. Lane. I get you. Um, so on this, uh, on this uh, trek to spread Mrs. Hoover's ashes, totally out of character for me. I don't believe it. I'm angry about it. Susan is changing a tire. With her luck, she's the last person I would want securing a tire to my automobile. For sure. For sure. And and, and thinking that she's competent to do this. Um, also that she, that again, when Edie says, you know, I have auto club. So again, it's this, this, I'm punishing myself by doing this physical labor um, for you because I've done something horrible in burning down your home. 
Um, it, it's just, for me, it's, it's this, you know, it, it's clear. And Edie, Edie knows that Susan must have an ulterior motive um, in, in coming and helping with Martha's mini memorial and changing the tire when she knows she has auto club. And it's kind of this revealed that um, Edie didn't have a lot of fun in high school, that people, that she was bullied. And she sees Susan as a person who has never been bullied or yeah like you were I bet you were popular I bet everybody liked you and that they're in this like they're reliving this um you know this dichotomy yeah what's happening like that this is just like high school where all the girls don't want to hang out with me or nobody wants to hang out with me so I hang out with whoever's left over the Martha Hoobers of the world that nobody else that nobody likes the, the the misfits or you know and it it again for me it's just this incredulity I'm not letting that Susan knows how to change a tire is beyond me but I'm definitely not gonna let her try nope nope no woman can barely tie her shoes this makes me this makes me feel for Edie a little bit and it also makes me realize that like everybody on this show has some sort of level of desperation it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of when we're gonna find out what it is and how it's gonna impact everybody else I feel like that's what this show is all about that's the theme the theme is desperation You've got this. Mark Cherry is like in an office somewhere and his uh, eyes just, you know, welled up with tears that you got his work. Um, Mike goes to Noah's demanding, um, you know, his maps, his pictures, his gun, the money back. And he says, no one's ever going to care as much about finding Deirdre as I do. And Noah says, um, no, that can't, you know, you, you can tell yourself that, but understand that you're not blameless in this either. You abandoned her. You found yourself a nice, nice safe wife and you let my daughter rot. This is interesting new information or putting together information. Because if we remember back to the dinner where Bongo eats Susan's um, earring and he, and Mike's talking about, you know, it was really my wife's dog and Susan can tell that he's still in love with his late wife. All of this, this is really kind of the first time we circle back to the fact that Mike had a past and Deirdre is apparently not the woman he married. So there was Deirdre and then there was a wife. The nice wife. I have so many questions. Yes. So many questions. Yeah. And and so we know that this was a relationship that he had, but it wasn't wasn't the marriage that we'd heard about before. No, I need to know more. Are we going to find out the backstory before the end of the season? Yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, Noah reveals that time is of the essence, that we really need to get moving on this. And for the first time, Mike gets it that Noah is dying. Noah has a a brain tumor and he needs fast answers about what happened to his daughter. He doesn't want to go to his grave not knowing that. Now for me, there's, there's, I have a whole level of spirituality for me is that I believe all of the answers that I've ever been looking for in my life will be answered in death. Um, So for me, that wouldn't be it. But I can understand unfinished business and if you didn't, if that is not part of, you know, your spirituality, that you know this is some you know this is something that has just been so awful in his life is the loss of his daughter and not knowing what happened and i can't imagine i can't he needs it buttoned up before he hit before he heads to the malt shop in the sky and and mike you know becomes I, i feel like he he softens there is that it never occurred to him why it was so timely for him. Right. 
for sure. Yeah, I can't wait for that to all, for all to, for all of that to be revealed. I'm looking forward to that. You're on the downward trajectory, mm-hmm. um, as is Lynette. <laughs> yeah, Lynette, Ooh, the jig is up, sis. Is. This cancer survivor wants to hug oh. Parker because he's a fighter. Yeah. And I'm and and when he says, "Mommy, am I dying?" Like, oh my God. I'm so glad Lynette made the right choice and did the right thing. And I'm glad the jig is up because it's this is the worst kind of lie. It's oh, terrible. My gosh, it just does not oh, it it so, doesn't translate enough about how oh how how cringe and how like inappropriate yeah. and all the other things that this is. Um and the and sadly for Lynette, the the you know the door to her serenity of this yoga studio will never be open to her again. She's lucky that nope. she doesn't live in our time. Nope, nope, she would be canceled. Oh gosh, and you know what? Rightfully so that like they have a bad attitude about this because it's a terrible thing to have happen. But she does get to just move on now. Like. Yeah. She doesn't ever have to admit this if she doesn't want to. Um, Except that maybe some of her friends did go to that yoga studio. I I wondered that, too. Like, nobody goes with you to this or, you know, whatever. You're just anonymous here. Nobody's going to sit, like, say, yeah, her kid doesn't have cancer. Like, you had no worries about getting caught, but you did. No. No. So... Tell us about George. Yeah, so George um, comes to Bree's house and she's working on, or she's working on her plants, and he he says, you know, I I don't, you know, I really need our friendship back. And that desperation, he's on crutches, he's lost a toe, and still Bree's like, you know, I think this is a bad idea. Wouldn't you just, you know, continue to want more from this relationship than I do? Um, and, and, you know, so George gets upset and tries to leave and Bree tells him to stay and in the process of trying to get away from her, now George falls down the stairs on his crutches. Now this one is, this one's contrived to me too, is that it's clear Bree wants him to leave and then he starts to leave and she says, oh, please don't go. You just have to sit with the discomfort, woman. She doesn't want to be the bad guy. She yeah. Not, this is the Brie we know. She doesn't want to make somebody feel bad. And this poor man, he doesn't want her pity, but then he mm. ends up in a pathetic situation where yes. he's on the ground with these crutches and, like, he he's in a, in a situation where how do you not have pity for somebody? But I also, I need to know why he really needs their friendship back, like, is it just because he's so in love with her or I don't know. It just, it just said, it seemed very intense given what they've been on like three dates and, and, and desperate. Like what we yeah. kind of, we keep circling, right. Is that yeah. desperation and that this is his desperation. He talked about earlier. Um, I'm forgetting what it's uh, felt like to be lonely. It's like, ooh, mm. you know, and, and so we're just picking it. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's all coming. It's all packaging nicely up together and, then the yelling, I don't need you, I don't need anybody, get in the car, run off. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Didn't end well. It was not a graceful exit. And that is, like, the least, the, the thing that Gabby likes, or, sorry, Brie likes the least is when something's Best untidy. Messy yeah, people. yeah. Speaking oh. of which. Speaking <laughs> of messy people, we've got poor Carlos, who is convinced that Gabby's going to leave when he goes to jail, and... 
asks her to promise that she will never leave, and she agrees, which he's she shouldn't. Um, yeah. He seems he seems like he doesn't believe her, and he should he should be worried because she's figuring out how to do it on her own, mm-hmm. and she's kind of starting to stand up for herself. And honestly, we've seen that it's you know she's had times where she feels unsafe with him earlier yeah. in the season, and he's not being nice to her now. So she, I don't know, he should be worried. I, I'm there for it. Over with Edie and Susan at Torch Lake. And Edie thanks Susan for being a true friend and, you know, feels badly about herself that she thought Susan had an ulterior motive and, um... Should have trusted her gut instinct. I mean, it must be really hard because when you're, you're so sure you're right, you're so sure you're right, and then you feel badly. I mean, as much as I think Edie's depth, you know... It, it is not shown here, but then she's like, you know, I feel like I'm, I, here I am thinking you have an ulterior motive, and it's finally revealed. Susan finally fesses up that she burnt down Edie's house. And I was certain Edie was going to throw her out of the boat. But she got, I mean, she got I, something different. That's where I mean, and I cannot handle what she got. I would have rather been thrown out of the boat <gasps> with some kind of scary swamp monster in that nasty lake. Mm-hmm. That would have been better than having somebody's ashes thrown in your face. <laughs> I know. Um, and she does. Yeah, Edie throws Martha's ashes all over. Um, and all I can think of in that moment is that this woman's going to get back in my car. Like, we yes. took Edie's car. <laughs> oh, I can't handle this at all. I cannot handle if I go somewhere to, like, a lazy river or, like, a pool. Mm-hmm. I don't like a public pool very much at nope. all because... If somebody's hair is floating and yes. it gets on my arm, I lose my mind. Somebody's ashes in my mouth? No. 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 So if I could reframe this for you, in the Desperate Housewives book, it does talk about this uh, this scene, and um, the ashes were made of cornstarch, just so you know. Great. I'm I glad know it you... wasn't an actual okay. deceased human. Well, and uh, and Terry Hatcher did get them in her eyes and her mouth. Oh, <laughs> so you would want it to not be like dust from the the gar- or from the vacuum cleaner dust or something gross, like or yeah. a body part. I just watched another episode of a different show where a person mm-hmm. was cremated, like there was a murder, and the person was cremated, and their like their ashes were like raining down on the town, and people thought it was okay. snow. But it was the ashes of the first. Oh, I think I know what show you. I think I know what show you were talking about. So that's funny. A reboot. It was a reboot show. Yeah, yeah, it was a very yeah. well done, a very yes. well, shockingly well done reboot. I did think it it needed another chapter, and I'm glad it got it. Yes, and I'm sad it's done now. I hope it's not done. Who knows? That because it, it leaves on a cliffhanger, and we will not spoil that show for you. Mm-hmm. So. But it's a good one. If you can figure it out, it's a good one. Watch it, and you can put it in our comments. Yes. Um, um, so, uh, Mike and, back to Mike and Noah, Mike promises Noah that he's still committed to the mission of finding Deirdre's killer. Oh, yeah. And, anyway, go on. <laughs> and Noah comments that, well, you, you know, you would be because you've already killed for her once. Mike, you're a plumber and a house builder and a killer. You know, and I give, you know, again, back to Susan and going on, you know, when they went on their, they're going on their romantic, uh, 
weekend alone and it's like you don't know a lot about this person you're telling your daughter you know maybe he's a serial killer and she's like but why are you going she's like i don't get out enough and i'm like huh like martha hoover always waiting for drama to find you yeah susan doesn't wait for it it just knocks on her door so you had mentioned earlier about, you know, Gab, and, and apparently Carlos gets the hint, right? Um, because we get over to Carlos and, Cap, and Gabby's, and Carlos is vacuuming. What? I didn't know that man knew how to run a vacuum. I'm delighted because that's kind of what I thought when I, when I see her come home from work with uh, a bucket of chicken and I see, like, food and wrappers and him lounging on the couch. That would piss me off, too, if I worked all day. Right. Like, he, should be contribute. To, he should be learning how to cook. Like, yeah. they're broke. Takeout's expensive. No kidding. And it's not a lot for 20 bucks in that bucket. No, learn how to make some hamburger helper and then have leftovers. Come on. Yeah. Um, but it's not It's not without um, drama or desperation mm-hmm. because we then see Carlos calling the pharmacy about Gabrielle's birth control pills and he's clearly tampering with them. Gabby needs to GTF. Oh, not cool. Bye, Carlos. She needs not to get out. Cool. She needs to. She needs to leave. She already packed her bag that one time. She needs to just go. right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, if I were if I were Gabby, I'd have a go bag ready to go. Would be sure, in my a bug out bag. You'd have your which, bug out bag. Which I guess they um they repoed her Maserati, so maybe her go bag was in that. Uh, fun fact: After watching Handmaid's Tale, I have a go bag, um, packed at all times. Doesn't have my passport in it, but apparently a passport wouldn't help me much if uh, no. <laughs> if I if I get handmaid's tailed. No, your passport and your checkbook, forget it, girl. Bullshit. You don't have money. You don't own property. It's like RBG never did anything. It's awful. Oh, legacy. The whole legacy. I have I have a plant in my classroom, and the um the pot that it's in looks like her. It has glasses, oh. and it has it looks like a descent color. So I, like I was it. watering my plants the other day, and. I'm like, oh, we got to give RBG some water. And one of my kids is like, I thought that was Harry Potter. And I'm like, no, Ruth just rolled over in her grave. That does not have a lightning bolt on its head. Look at the descent collar. I need to teach my kids. I need to take a pause for math and teach them who RBG was. Well, I, I, I would be there for it as a taxpayer. Yeah. Um. So back to Edie and Susan again. Susan in, uh, you know, Susan drove home in Edie's car, so pieces of Martha Hoover still all over her, um, and Edie agrees not to tell the police about Susan's actions, uh, but she has some stipulations, and I really want to dig into these. I, like, I just, I, I don't understand it. So, in exchange for not telling the police, um, Edie would like to be invited to the girls' poker game regularly. And she doesn't say, I, I, she's saying, I'm, sometimes I will not show up, but I want to be invited. I want it to be understood. And Susan agrees. But Edie, you're, as you spoke about earlier, Amanda, these women obviously don't like you. They saw you come into their poker room. You said, oh, I love playing poker. And nobody invited you. Why do you want to be there? she's struggling to find some power. Like she wants to be included and she wants to call the shots and it's a little bit of emotional blackmail, I believe. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like it's hard to want to be in a place where, you know, people don't want you there, but yeah, I think that she just wants to beat them at their own game, you know, not the poker game, like beat them at their own game and like, haha, you have to have me here. 
I'm not going to be here anyway, but maybe I will. You know, it's, I feel for her. Like, that's sad. I wish she would find Oh, no, I want her to, ha- yeah, I want her to have a tribe. I want her to have, you know, I want her to have people who are genu- genuinely want to be around her. And I don't want her feeding into this idea that she has to blackmail her way into the room or, right. you know, I, I just, I'm sad for her that that would be interesting to her. Agree. Agree. And that that desperation um, begets that. That makes me sad. I'm also um, sad for Susan that she had to be hosed down in the yard and now Martha Hoover <laughs> lives in her grass. Oh, yeah, no kidding. It's like this person who was blackmailing you and, you know, was just kind of an awful human and just continues to, you know, now she'll be in your plumbing and stuff. Like, it, it's just like this, you know, like almost like a cancer spreading, like, over everything. Is that everything this woman touches maligned. Um, so she'll, she'll continue to be part of their life um, as he uh, hoses her pay. down. Small price to pay to stay out of jail. Fair, 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 fair. Or whatever consequence for accidental arson is. Right, right. Oh. Um, in our final words, we have Mariella saying that death is inevitable. It's a promise made to each of us at birth. But before that happens, we each hope something will happen to us, whether it's the thrill of romance, the joy of raising a family, or the anguish of great loss. We all hope to experience something that makes our lives meaningful. But the sad fact is not all lives have meaning. Some people spend their time on this planet sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen to them before it's too late. And we see George watching pharmacy security tape footage of Brie, and it really does suggest this really malignant, obsessive, problematic, um, desperate, um, and unsafe for Brie kind of situation. We have a new king of creep on the lane. No kidding. Maybe they're going to start a support group. Oof. Let's hope. Ooh. Um, so next week, we are headed to your fault. Hmm. Whose fault? I can't wait. Paul Young. Paul Young's fault. Everybody's fault. That's Everybody's fault. The episode title is always applicable to everybody in every storyline. So all of the faults. We'll be talking about faults, which I think is a really weird... I don't like that word. I don't like fault. I don't like blame. And like, we can we can reframe those, make them more productive. Look forward to it. Uh, until then, uh, I am Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And this is Noisy Fulfillment. Bye. Bye.